Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. Boom. There it is. We're live coming at you. We're excited. It's going to be a good one. These, this topic, this guest, so excited to introduce you to her because not only is the topic a crazy one and one that actually I think we all underestimate, but she has this understanding of it that few people I've ever talked to have. So she is a passionate defender of personal privacy, enterprise privacy expert and consultant. I would even say a compliance aficionado, founder and CEO of Red Clover Advisors, Jody Daniels. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah, I mean, this, the idea about privacy, we know about things like GDPR and California wants to get its own take in this, and there's all these different privacy policies that are changing and different compliance requirements for marketers today. I think we're a little overwhelmed with it, and I think a lot of times when you, you try to ask for what to do, you get the whole, like, consult your attorney thing and not really any good info on it. So I want to pass you this. This is an imaginary Thor's hammer. 
And that's because the real one's back at the office. But uh, <laughs> here you go. This is Thor's hammer. Take I got it. That. I got it. I'm taking yeah, it. Oh, God. Yeah, there you go. Oh, strong. Excellent. I know. Um, Super strong. One hand, you, one hand, did you have that hammer too? That's fantastic. No, no, no. I had two. I had two. Yeah, two? Okay. I, I needed two as well. It was, it was heavy. <laughs> so take that hammer and smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, misconception that you're hearing around this privacy stuff and just set the record straight once and for all. I think the biggest one that I hear all the time is I just need to update my privacy notice or I already updated my privacy notice. I'm good. I'm right. compliant. I don't have to do anything else. And there's so much more that these laws require that, 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 that is just the external facing, I kind of call it the window dressing, quite honestly, yeah. of what companies need to do to actually comply with these laws. I get the sense that, you know, thinking that just changing that rogue page on your site called privacy policy that no one actually reads and no one understands, it's almost like when you see someone on Facebook go, I'm declaring that Facebook cannot use my photos <laughs> and they cannot use my information because I put this in a, in a post. They are not allowed to do it. Uh, please share this with 15 friends. You're going to get, you're going to get sick, right? Like people that do that, you're like, no, shut up. Like, that, no, that's not a legal statement on, on your Facebook feed. But, but, you know, as much as I'm making fun of those people, it sounds like we're doing a lot of that on the marketing side, thinking we're good with a, subscription center or just some random page no one looks at right um you know the the idea is well if i update my notice yeah i did it i said whatever it is i'm supposed to say and or my fate my other favorite is i'll just go copy it from this other site <laughs> and i put the language in this site so i'm good i got one i updated it i have no idea if it's right i don't know what it says i don't know if it's meaningful i never look at it ever again and i didn't do anything internally potentially and I don't know how I'm supposed to use it, but I got one. That seems like it could be really dangerous copying somebody else's. It can for a lot of reasons. And the whole point of a privacy notice is to communicate. So you kind of joked, right? No one ever reads it. It is not the most heavily read page on a website. Right. However, it is an important page for a lot of reasons. The first is, well, one, it's required. So generally speaking, companies don't decide, you know what? I like this law, I don't like that law. So I'm not gonna comply with that law because I don't like it. You know, we're all generally good company citizens and we wanna do the right thing. So then it's, well, what is that notice supposed to be? Well, a all, depending on which law you're in, if you're healthcare, if you're financial, if you're just a regular company and you have to comply with GDPR, and, and for anyone not familiar, just really fast, GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It's the EU privacy law that celebrates its second birthday, May 2020. Wow. And then there's the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA. It became effective January 1st of 2020, and it will begin enforcing July 1st, 2020. So both of these laws have very specific requirements. That's within, coming up. It is coming up very soon. <laughs> so it's already effective. It's just not being enforced yet. You, you it, Don't ask. That's a whole nother... Right. Thing. So, um, so this episode needs to come out sooner than later. Definitely before yeah. July. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ideally. That would be great. If you're listening to this in July, you're behind. So just go ahead and hurry yeah, up. Try and catch up. Listen to it at like three times speed. So you exactly. Can, You'll get yeah. there faster. Yeah. <laughs> so these, both of these laws have 
a variety of requirements, detailed requirements of what needs to happen in them. Yeah. And they're different. So if you actually complied with GDPR, you're not done for CCPA. You've just a little bit farther ahead. So you have to really understand your business and what the law requires and figure out what it is that you need to do. And again, there's some very methodical steps that companies should go through to help figure that out. So the privacy notice is the company saying at a very basic level, here's what I collect from you or from third parties. Here's how I use it. Here's who I share it with, why I share it with them. And here are your choices. Mm. These very basic, a lot of specific detail has to be within each of them. So if you go and copy it from someone else, you have absolutely no idea if you've applied what you do and if it's in line with what they do. Right. And it's a legal document. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be written by an attorney, but it's, it's your document that communicates to your customers what you're doing. And that is honestly the fun part to me because it's the opportunity for you to be transparent and honest, which is what all these laws are trying to get people to be about, right. which is tell me what you're doing with this information and give me some choices. It's your communication vehicle. Right. It, see, that's a good point. I think sometimes people think about legal things. It's almost like getting in trouble at school where actually we told you the rules ahead of time to help you avoid getting in trouble. We don't want you to get in trouble. We want you to not, it's like, I'm thinking of my kids, right? I'm not, I don't want to ground you or send you to the room. Like I'm trying to tell you like three or four times so that I don't have to do that. But if I do, we will. So let's get out in front of it and positively communicate. Hey, this is, this is the swim lane here. This is, or in this case as a company, this is how we do things. Like right, and I think this is the, the exciting opportunity, and you're going to see more companies do this. You see some of the big companies already creating a privacy portal, mm. a privacy-centric page where I can go and I can have a visual representation of what's happening from a privacy point of view. I collect this kind of information. Yeah. I use everything I just described, my collection, use, sharing, and my choices, all visually represented. Now, just think about an email. And this actually happened to me the other day um, in two different use cases. So I got an email and I wanted to unsubscribe. Yeah. So when you go to unsubscribe, it's one size fits all, just bye-bye. Right. Except that's actually an opportunity. I, I might not have wanted to unsubscribe. I just don't really need to hear about the shoes on sale four times a day, maybe once a day or once a week would be okay. Mm -hmm. Give me better choices. And I know that's connected to the you know tools and the systems that we're using. But a lot of the times, it's connected to just the strategy of what it is that I'm going to be doing. So right. if you sent me to a central page and you explained, you know what, this is how we got your information, this is why we're using it, and then you let me make some choices, we're gonna have a dialogue here and you might be able to still keep me. Mm -hmm. Instead of um, just opting out, it's maybe just a downgrade of information. Yeah. And that's a privacy piece. It's a good point, you give people options and I've even seen that with our subscription page. If you just have a one-click unsubscribe, they're like, peace, I'm out. But if you give them the options of, well, you definitely don't want to get the offers. Got it. But what about this leadership, you know, subscription or this other newsletter on Pardot technology or something? Like, oh, maybe I'd be interested in that. And you, you tend to see people signing up for more than they get rid of if they have options like that. But to your point, you get out in front of it so they're not pissed at you for right. – abusing everything and then they're like unsubscribe with a vengeance and still mark you as spam you know it's like 
trying to be more transparent and we're human, you know, especially at a time like this where it's like, where's the humanity in that company that I'm dealing with? Yeah. So a lot of people, and I'm seeing it now yeah. where people are coming out of the woodwork. I haven't heard from you in years and now you've sent me an email. And then you say that you care oh my a lot about me, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, I haven't heard from you. And so you know, people kind of joke, oh, hey, thanks company for telling me where I needed to unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. And so this is re- the whole other part of these laws is notice, tell me what it is that you're doing. And then also give me choices. And both GDPR and CCPA have some very specific requirements. So under GDPR, they're called a DSAR request, a data subject access request. The United States, I guess we don't really like the phrase data subjects. I personally don't. So we refer to them as individual rights. I'm an individual. I have some rights. They're kind of similar. There's some, some nuances and some differences. And in the notice, I have to describe what my rights are and how, I ex- like, how do I make one. And so an example of them might be in California, tell me what kind of data you have on me. Oh, well, we have, you know, you bought something, so we have this kind of data. And you know what, we, we worked with a third party, so we got all this extra data so we could figure out who you are. And we, maybe you had to get information from a, a credit bureau or something to, to perform a credit application, right? I'm right. pulling from different places. So you might have this kind of information. And another common one is, I want my data to be deleted. Mm. I, I just, I don't want to be a part of your systems anymore, delete me. Now, the company has to go through a process for all of these to figure out is Jody Jody it, or is Jody Fred? How sure. do you know Jody's actually Jody? Uh, right. You have to figure out the jurisdiction. Do I have to honor it? So Jody's in Atlanta. <laughs> and if I make a GDPR request, I don't have to. And if I go under California, I also don't have to. But then if you only have my email, how do you even know I'm from California or not from mm-hmm. California? So this is kind of a conversation that companies have to have, which is, am I a part of are you, am I going to honor these for everybody or for just some people? Yeah, I think that's so huge because in that last point around, if I only have your email address and so many times in marketing automation, first name, last name, email. Um, now, thankfully, Pardot, you can't turn on the automatic location identification. But, but if you just had, you know, email, especially from a list or something, you don't know if they're in California. And so probably err on the better side of judgment and, and make, it, make it happen for them. It's probably better for a user experience too. It is. And then you also have to think about, okay, so let's just pretend you wanted only California or you weren't really sure. And I submit this request and you say, I'm so, I'm so sorry. We don't honor people from Georgia. <laughs> I'm going to be kind of mad. Yeah. And I'm probably not going to do business with you. Right. And I might go to social media. And so now you have kind of a mess. And especially- it might be okay with you not doing business with them. But then when you start making a fuss about it on social, that these people are like being- terrible with your data, I could see that being a real problem. Right, right. So you have, you know, this whole challenge of how are you going to honor these? And from a, so the company has to kind of figure out the whole process of Jody submits this request and what has to happen with it. And imagine I send this request in, literally what, what, what's going to happen? Who's going to, who's going to look at it? Who's going to, um, process it, who's going to determine I can or I can't honor it. And then, and what's important is most often the marketing piece is always going to have to be honored. So really important for our conversation here. You know, maybe if I bought it, especially in the States, you probably have to keep it for tax purposes. There's a variety of exceptions. So the company has got to understand the data it has. 
mm-hmm. and figure out a process to be able to figure out what happens with Jody's information right. and know all the different systems. Is it in Pardot? Is it on a Google Drive? Is it on an Excel sheet? Did I send it to my agency? Is it on my laptop? Is it in a different CR? Like, where is it? Because you then have to go to all those different places to be able to delete the information. And you're almost never going to get out of a marketing request. You're, you're not going to get meaning, out of it? You're, meaning I'm always going to have to honor a marketing request. For, I, I, I can't speak. I, I'm always going to have to honor an individual rights request yeah. for marketing. So if Jody asks to have my information deleted, the company's not really going to be able to come back and say, I don't have to delete your information because I don't have to keep it from a marketing standpoint. There's not really an exception for marketing purposes. Interesting. There is no exception. There might be for billing. There might be for tax purposes, but marketing. Now I don't have to, I don't have to, I I don't have to market to you. No, a business might argue, well, I'll have no customer, right? You could have this conversation, but from a privacy law point of view, if I don't want, you to have my information to send me marketing material, the company's going to have a challenge to be able to not honor that request. Right. So marketers have to know where their data is and be able to have a process in place to be able to locate all of it and honor the request. And oh, by the way, for GDPR, you get 30 days to do that. And for CCPA, 45 days. You have to have that whole process locked and loaded and able to manage in that period of time. That seems like it could either be easy if you've done the planning or it could be really challenging if you haven't. Exactly. So you have got to do the planning to make sure that you're able to honor. You just, you have to have a process. You just have to have a process. And if you have a process, it's, you're going to follow the process. And you have to know where your data is. So kind of going back to our very first conversation where people say, I got a privacy notice, I'm good. You really have to understand the data that you have in your company. Mm-hmm. You have to know what you have and where it is and who you're sharing it with so that you can then build a process for the other big parts of these laws, which is not just tell you, but also give you those choices. Mm-hmm. So that when I make that request, I'm able to have a smooth process because that's also part of my customer experience. Right. That's, that's all part of the brand experience that I have and we want it to be smooth. Yeah, that's a really good point. And if it's not smooth, then you may do it and they'll still whine and complain on social about it. Whereas if you're smooth and boring, if it boringly gets completed, Right. Then no one is not, there's no drama there. What happens if you don't do this? Like, can I, can I just not do this? And I mean, I'm not so, a big company, so no one's going right. to see me or like, how, how does that work? So what happens is a couple of different things. So for starters, you've, um, you violated the law. So okay. there, there could be a violation <laughs> and, a, and an infraction that could happen yeah. to you. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is going back to what I had said, if you don't honor it within the period of time or the experience that we're having here. So I submit a message to you, you communicate back with me. We have an exchange Yeah. and it's not favorable. It's not a good exchange. I'm going to, to likely complain about it. I'm going to go to social media. Now, now I have a whole PR mess that I have to go and deal with. 
Um, some other interesting things is depending on the industry that people are in, certain industries could lend themselves to almost an organized kind of attack, if you will, on individual rights. Meaning we really have a problem, let's organize and thousands of people submit a request at the same time. Ooh. What kind of industries? So you can imagine people, I think, where you have a strong following. So it could it could be a B2C brand where there's, you know, something happens, someone doesn't like, um, maybe the company's, like, you could even have it, I guess, on a B2B brand where the company's made maybe a statement and you have a long, a big group of people who don't agree with it. Mm. Maybe they I, I, test on animals or maybe they don't test on animals or maybe there's unfair, you know, um, working conditions the entertainment industry where you have a lot of fans or the sports industry where you have a lot of fans. You know, if someone does something and they're kind of not happy, a way that people could organize now under these laws is in that capacity. And right. you see it in yeah. a different way from a cybersecurity standpoint. Okay. When people are unhappy, you often find hackers will go and, and penetrate and find their way in. They can send a phishing campaign. They can um, try and break into systems. So sometimes people do it because that's what they want to. Um, and, you know, other times it can be sort of this fan base situation that you might have. So in other words, you got to be prepared for it. You know, I've seen some companies and they have just a handful of requests and I've seen other companies and not this conversation, just, just because of the volume of customers that they have and they're seeing thousands per month. Wow. What kind of companies get the thousands that you've seen? definitely the larger companies that yeah. have uh so the one in particular that i can think of is a healthcare company mm. um i've seen some others though in the b2c space where you know you might have used it you might have entered information to kind of get something back maybe it was a valuation or a quote or something along those oh, lines yeah. really easy to submit your information and then you realize oh I, well i did that i don't really need it anymore and so then you'd make that request oh Honestly, in this time right now, yeah. and we joked about it, I'm getting all these emails of from people or companies I haven't heard of in a very long time. Yeah. Well, now I might go and realize not only unsubscribe, but just, can you just make me go away from your system? I, I, I want to be oh, deleted. Or wait a second, what, I don't even remember who you are. Tell me how you got my information. Right. Huh. I could even see, you know, when you have, you have a company that I think a lot of people are just unsubscribing. It's like a quarantine hobby, right? <laughs> but I could see like, stop emailing me. And then it, and I kind of raised the bar instead of just unsubscribing, I, I'll send a GDPR or a um, CCP request or like, you could kind of raise the stakes on a company and just because you're mad at them. Right. Well, I had a situation where I had one vendor and I was look. they had an announcement of trying to integrate with another vendor. Well, this is great. Let's try it out. So I went down the path of trying to sign up with this extra vendor to integrate. And I started to feel uncomfortable through the process. I didn't like my experience. I just didn't feel good and warm and fuzzy. And so, but I had entered some information along the way. I reached out to them and said, I want to be completely deleted from your process. I don't like you having my information. Uh, and, and kind of a different scenario, but actually just last night, I was trying to, to buy some uh, medicines for my, my pet, since I'm not going to the vet yeah, right now. Right. And it was kind of shocking to me. So go and create this whole portal and everything and nothing's secure. Mm. The whole website's not secure. Really? 
Yep. This is like 2020, so, people. I know. Come on. And My so, landing page isn't part of secure at this point. Like, not, everything's secure. Not secure. So that was it. I was done. Jeez. I had to go find somebody else to go do it with. Did it rhyme with Ted? Is it like animal Ted's? It, I did not rhyme with Ted. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but check your sites, so, people. Make I sure know. So, so very simple. If you create a web page, make it be secure, please. Make yes. it be secure. It's a, yes. So, yeah. It, now, the request, when they come in, I guess if you tell them the options, they can follow your process. But if you don't tell them options, they could just reply to your email, your marketing email. Well, so that's kind of interesting. Um, so CCPA has some more formal requirements of how you need to be able to honor them. It mm -hmm. specifically says you have to have a verification process in place. You have to figure out how you're going to verify me. And there's a whole interesting piece that we haven't talked about, which is under California, there's a very particular section that focuses on the sale of data. And now our audience might say, that's not me. We don't sell any data. Right. And it might not be you. You might not actually sell data. But California has a broad definition of the sale of data. Of course they do, California. Of course. It's California. It's California. It can mean uh, basically sharing, disseminating, disclosing, pick a synonym that goes with those words, information to a third party for other valuable consideration. Mm. And so what happens is the entire ad tech space kind of falls in this bucket of potentially being, being part of the data was sold. Because if you think about the ad tech space and you're doing any type of targeted ads, yeah. you have maybe just a retargeting pixel and you have some companies who believe that's a sale and other companies who believe that's not a sale. It's literally kind of an argument right now. Uh, but then you have some others where you have all these different middle players. You yeah. have ad networks and you have people passing the data and then you have some companies who just collect location data and then they sell the location data to other people. And right, it's this entire massive ecosystem. Well, because of all of that sharing and someone's getting paid for it, it's often considered- um, That's sold, yeah. That it's being considered sold. And so, for anyone who hasn't yet noticed, if you go to a website, most likely in the footer, it doesn't have to be in the footer. It can be anywhere on the homepage, but often people put it in the footer. You're going to now start seeing, do not sell my personal information. That very specific phrase on the link on homepage. Interesting. It's a little misleading because people are going to say, I don't want you to sell my personal information. And they don't, they think it's sold, like most people think, you right. took my information and sold it. And in some cases that is true, and in other cases it's not. So in any event, there's some very specific things that you have to do, and you have to have a form to be able to manage if you sell information. So kind of going back to tie it all together, you have got to understand the data you have, and you have to be able to know how you collect it, how you use it, where you share it, so you can determine how you comply with these various laws. From there, you can write your own tailored uh, uh, applicable privacy notice right. and create your own process to manage individual rights that works for you. Wow. And along the way, you can then secure data and determine if you have any unsecure landing pages along the way. <laughs> right, right.
Wow. You know, as you were mentioning all the different things that have to happen, especially if you, if you have a particular request, I was kind of thinking of pranking a friend or two of mine, you know, um, who have a company and just like sending my, sending my buddy like a, a CCPA request. You'd be like, all right, here you go. <laughs> Happy trails. Have you, have you, you know, that might actually be kind of a cool marketing campaign. for It you. might be. It could be an interesting business development tool. I actually, I, I will be honest. I have not done that, but I do know people who have. And they uh, have found a lot of very interesting uh, pieces in their process. You know, like, I'm sure if I received one, I'd be maybe mad about it. But if you're like, look, if you don't know how to handle this, then <laughs> we should probably talk. Go listen to this podcast and then let's right. talk because <laughs> um, this is coming and you need to be able to deal with it. Um, and, you know, it if is. it's one or two you still have to deal with it. It's probably even worse because now you're going to stop your whole thing. You don't, you've never dealt with it before. You don't have the system in place. And so all the time that would take to just sort of invent it every time, have a little process, you know, do a little prep in advance or big prep if you're an even bigger company. Right. And another important piece is people think, oh, well, I work with these third parties. The third party will deal with it. It oh, actually right. is your responsibility yeah. to make sure that A, your third parties are compliant with these laws. And B, that if you get one of these requests, you know how to work with the third party to honor it. So if you work with Salesforce, what do you need to do? How do do you do that? If you work with Pardot, where do you go? If that information talks to other systems, you have to make sure you have the whole trail appropriately identified and that you can go and follow it. Yeah. If you do a Facebook ad is a great gotta, example yeah. because you often extract the information and it goes into some type of spreadsheet that you then might share with some agency that then uploads it into Facebook. Sure. If that trail happened, you now have it in multiple places and you need, you need to be able to know, oh gosh, I have to delete. I need to not include it in my next Facebook upload. So there's a variety of steps that might be manual, just depends on the business and the process. Uh, but if you have any third parties, you're, you are responsible under both of those laws. And actually both of those laws really in kind of increase the responsibility. You need to have a contract in place. You need to review who you're sending it to, because if you send it to them and they use it for some other purpose, mm-hmm. you now might fall under the sale piece under California. Right. As an example. Right. So it all kind of gets intertwined together. You know, in, as you were saying that, I wrote this and then underlined it because it came up a couple of times, the idea that it's your responsibility. Just because you've got a third party, and, and I've learned this just from years of business and whatnot, like third parties do not excuse you because typically they're writing stuff into their contracts that are like, it's all you, bro. And, and if you get strung up in legal, we are not friends. We do not know who you are and you're all on your own. So it's not like, like oh yeah, but we use this this ad server tech, whatever. Nope. Nope. Somewhere in line 904, there's some separation. It's all your responsibility uh, to go find this information out. It is true. It is there. The the devil's in the details or the important parts are in the details. Yeah, it is. On like line 86, you mentioned Salesforce and I looked up their privacy policy and I want to get your take on it, but it looks like it's pretty detailed, kind of like that portal you were talking about. Um, yes, um, yeah. you, they they have a, a hearty privacy notice, a big privacy team that is paying attention. They have millions of customers and mm-hmm. a, a significant volume of data that's coming through. They're they're on the front line. Everyone is looking to them to figure out, you know, am I safe? I'm using you. I need you to be compliant with GDPR. In GDPR speak, they're called a processor. 
the company, so our listeners here, the marketers, you're a controller. You collect the data, you decide how it's going to be used. You store it in Salesforce. Salesforce is your repository, if you will. And so they're considered a processor. In CCPA land, they don't use controller processor. In CCPA land, they use service provider. So if you hand it off to a third party, so Salesforce would be the service provider. So in other words, we don't want Salesforce using that information for any other purpose. So the contracts and, and all the requirements need to be around that. And then the same is true from a security standpoint. You've, you've got to make sure that your data is properly secure because if there's a data breach and it's in your instance, who am I going to go yell at? You. Right. right. I'm, I'm going to be mad at you. Right. Right. Crazy. And, you know, and they have the, some of the, the drop downs that you talked about, like, um, what's the purpose for this data? They have this big drop down. Who do we share data with? And they just to give you a, a sense for it. And they're just the service provider, not the controller, not the, not the user. There's um, like 10, 12 bullets of all the different people they may or may not be sharing data with. Um, right. Yeah. And that goes to some of the very specific requirements. So if someone listens like ah, Salesforce, they got a great privacy notice. I'm going to go over there and take it. Well, but theirs is applicable for them. Yeah. And you have got to figure out what is applicable for you and they're going to be different and you really have to dive into your business and, and dissect it and understand what it is that you're doing to be able to make a notice that makes sense for you. And again, bringing this back, it's all about a communication vehicle with your customers and this whole privacy thing. There's a, bunch of rules and requirements and it's designed to create a, re a strong relationship based on trust with your customer. Your customer is signing up to buy your products and services. They expect you to deliver your products and services. They also expect that you're going to protect their data and protection means proper use and you know, security, not just a security piece. A lot of times people always think it's just a data breach thing. It's not. It's also the use and collection is the big piece on privacy. Right. And then what, what happens and what do we do? I just scrolling down just now to contacting us to exercise your rights, personal data, fill out this form or mail us. And now in this case, they have a whole office. What do the smaller companies do? Is this something that you handle for them or how do you, so, what, what yeah, department even owns it? You know, is it marketing? That's a great question. Yeah. How, a couple different ways. So I am certainly a fractional privacy officer for, for some of the smaller companies. Nice. And that would fall, uh, you know, a service that we'd be able to do is to help manage that. There are, in terms of where it lives, it lives in everywhere. I've seen it in legal shops, in marketing, in the CFO's organization, if there's someone who manages security, kind of, or all of the above. And then there are some tools that will help you manage the workflow oh. of it. Okay. And there's some tools that will try and help automate it. It, it really can't automate 100% from mm -hmm. start to finish. There's still some human intervention in For between sure. because you have data potentially in different places. You have to validate, can I, can't I? When am I going to respond? So there's a variety of tools to kind of help along the way in a variety of different ways. And then some people just have a completely an old regular manual process. Yeah, for sure. Wow, okay. So I can see it being helpful to have you know, a fractional privacy officer um, overlooking the system, helping you build the process, but then to be able to, yeah, and to your point on the tools too, um, you can't automate everything. Tool isn't gonna automatically log into Pardot, find this person, make sure it's the right person and, and delete them. You're gonna have to have some manual effort there. Um, well, and in that situation, even if there was a tool that did that, it might not, uh, you might have data in a place more than Pardot. Oh yeah, for sure. 
So it might cover the Pardot piece, but it right. might not cover, oh, you know what? I downloaded it and we share it on Dropbox or Box or something else. Yeah. No, we have to find all the different connection points. So we kind of call that in the privacy space a data inventory or a data mapping exercise where you break down the business. You break it down by its core functions. And then let's take marketing. So I'm going to have email marketing. I'm going to have CRM. I might have lead generation. I might have digital analytics, digital ads. And so you break down each of those and you figure out where all the data is for every part. And you're able to work it from there. Got it. And then, you know, it's probably in QuickBooks. Accounting has some data. Right. Um, now, but accounting probably gets a, gets a pass because they got to be able to report some things. Um, so it all depends on the type of customer that I was and how, you know, how old was I, how recent was I. So you have to really have that data mapping and that understanding of the data in your company to be able to complete the process and the analysis that you would need to do. It sounds like there's a lot of work. Um, it sounds like... I need to get started. What would you say the first step is in this process? To me, the first step is, is understanding your data. So most people think the first step is I need a privacy notice because that's external facing. Yeah. And that is really important. But you really, in my view, the privacy notice is the end result after you understand the data that you have. Mm -hmm. So I have to go through and break down my business and understand what kind of data I'm collecting, how I'm using it, and who I'm sharing it with. And then from there, I can work to understand what are the requirements in a privacy notice. And then I can also create the individual rights process and be able to, to have that ready. So when I get a request, I know what to do. Interesting. I wonder what Pardot will do with the idea of deleting people. Because one of the neat things about Pardot is that if you delete a prospect, um, maybe they're, you don't have room and you're paying per you know, mailable contact, and you think they're bad data or old data, you just want to waste space, you can delete them, but they're never actually really deleted. They're, they go into the recycling bin. And then if they ever come back, fill out another form, like they've resurrected themselves, it grabs all their old data, now they're back, and you can carry on with the relationship. Mm. But if, if you were to get a request to delete that information, it would be like, well, you're recycled, but, you know, that probably doesn't count. Um, so that'd be an interesting, you know, I guess a research on our end would be like to figure out, you know, what, what happens in that case. But that is definitely an interesting question. I mean, I yeah. have my thoughts on what they should be doing. Uh, how exactly they're doing it would be a good question. What should they be doing? Like figuring so out how to make From a GDPR perspective, it should be a completely deleted. Yeah. Uh, and from a CCPA perspective, it really should be as well. Now they yeah. could anonymize the data. Mm. But if I ask to be deleted and then I come back to bring back all my old data, meant you didn't really delete me. Right. Yeah, it, interest, it sounds like, um, just from someone ping me, it sounds like because of GDPR and the right to be forgotten, there, uh, there are some changes now to the recycling bin that will help it. Yeah. Um, you know, it not track anyone anymore and just not, you know, let people be forgotten. So that's yep, that would make sense. Crazy, crazy. All right, so you said step number one was really just get a sense for where is your data, what are you using it for? Yes, it's the data inventory. It's understanding inventory. what kind of data I collect, yeah. how I use it, and who I share it with. Okay. When you get that, you're then able to write your privacy notice that's applicable for your business. 
then I can create an individual rights process so that I'm ready for when someone submits a request, you got it covered. I like it. These are two solid steps that, you know, figure out the collect use share, do the privacy policy, and then create that process for handling those two. Who, who needs the right? Can you write it? Like if I figured out this stuff, do I ping you and like, hey, can you, I mean, do I, how do you write that thing if it really is sort of legal and binding, but it's also a conversation? Right. So I do write privacy notices all day. Okay. It's, um, it's kind of like in between legal and not legal. Is that fun? How, how many privacy policies before you go a little nutty after you're like, this is my ninth one. I need to go get a glass of wine. Like, um, I like the overall conversation of, <laughs> of trying to get companies to understand why this privacy notice is interesting. And yeah. I think the ones that kind of create the privacy portal and message, I, I find that actually really exciting because Agreed. that's, yeah. that's elevating this conversation beyond just that boring document that I'm supposed to have actually this is a conversation piece with my customers mm, uh, nice. but I can certainly help with I can so I help customers understand the data they have then we march forward into writing the privacy notice then we create the individual rights plan from there we also go and train our staff and understand what it is that Susie and Harry all need to know and what has to happen with it and then you start to get into kind of the fun part which is the data strategy and I'm trying to execute this campaign. Should I execute this campaign? Should I not? Or what does my landing page need to look like as well? Right. Uh, so think in some places you might realize, gosh, I have to have consent. Well, consent under GDPR has a variety of very specific requirements as well. Mm -hmm. So I've spent time helping create what that landing page should look like. So it, it, it combines a positive user experience and meets privacy requirements. It's not just, here's the box and I'm at the privacy requirements, you've right. got to blend it into what that experience is supposed to look like. So you start to get into the strategy part. Sure. As well. Yeah, definitely some layers above, not just your, oh, here's your sentence. It's like, how do we make this a good process for, for, for everyone that's visiting? Can you talk about landing pages for a second? Because that kind of, sure. you're right. I mean, that really touches home because that's what we do. We make landing pages to capture leads. So a uh, couple things there. Uh, first, let's make them secure, please. Yes. <laughs> they, all, they all need a privacy notice. A lot of time people think that a landing page does not need a privacy notice because it's just, you know, sometimes we use landing page software. It's not a part of the main site. Right. And it needs a privacy notice like every, everything else because you're collecting personal information. Other times people think it's just the landing page and then I have a Facebook pixel I don't, or Google Analytics pixel. I don't need one. Both of those are considered personal information now under these laws, mm. not, not personal information. So you need a privacy notice. Okay. Then from a GDPR point of view, if I'm going to opt in to sign up for a free white paper. Okay. So I'm signing up for that free white paper. The language should really be, I'm signing up for the white paper. And then you also want to get all of my um, additional in uh, additional mailings and newsletters sure so the lead magnet from a gdpr standpoint is is different than a lead magnet in the states hmm. and there are a variety of tools that allow you to and i'm sure part has this to be able to go in and kind of flag oh wait that's a gdpr user and you can have yeah. sort of the box come up and yeah. be able to, to tailor that so other ways i've seen it done is where it's done by country so if you don't want that box you just want the same experience for everyone but you want to make sure you get the right country and the right opt-in. Mm -hmm. 
you could have, well, tell me a little bit about you. Oh, you're from England? Great. I need you to do this versus, oh, you're from the United States. Will you get this other experience that's over here? Um, other things to think about is if it's consumer directed, meaning uh, let's say I sign up for this and you're going to share the information with a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Like there's a third party with the content. And you want it to be super clear that yes, I opt in and it's okay that you share it with me. So that language should be above the big submit bar. And it shouldn't be in you know four point font. So those kinds of little nuances of what does the language actually need to say and where should it be? Mm-hmm. And when do you need a checkbox and when do you not need a checkbox are all important parts to think about on a landing page. And the other one piece is depending on the kind of information, especially in a healthcare sense, Mm. You should explain, and, and even healthcare where it's not a doctor healthcare, but you're thinking, um, you know, like a wellness coach or wellness information, um, healthy food habits or something like that, Jeez. where someone's going to give you a little bit of information, but it might not be official HIPAA-like information. Right. It's helpful to explain what you're using that information for, not just buried in your privacy notice. Right. You know what? Please complete this information because it will really help us uh, personalize yes. uh, our experience or it will really right. help us in our first meeting together. So you're explaining what you're doing as opposed mm-hmm. to just give me everything under the sun because I just want all of it so I can keep, create a profile on you and my system right. and target you. Right, right, exactly. Being more open and transparent about what you're using it for. And if you don't feel like you can be open and transparent, maybe you shouldn't be asking for it. Maybe you're being exactly. naughty. Yeah. That's exactly it. Totally. And, and it's not about, well, I wrote that in the privacy notice. If it's kind of a little questionable, you should explain up front mm-hmm. because I might give you more information if I understand what you're doing with it. So imagine you have a bunch of optional boxes yeah. and you never get them complete. If you explain why you want that information, I might be more apt to give it to you. Right, right. Whew, stop being shady, people. Just follow the law. Yeah. It also gets to quality. So if you make yeah. a bunch of fields required, and I don't actually want to give you my real information, I might make it all up, and then you have bad data. Bad data. I bumped into that the other day, and they, uh, their form was like, what's your annual uh, salary there, buddy? How much money you make every year? I'm like, who are you? Like, we just met. This is like the first date. You want, you want to know how much money I make? Like, I probably wouldn't tell you that in ninth form, but it was required. So yeah. I made myself a, a billionaire, I think. I think I told oh, them nice. like, I made like $10 million a year or something. Nice. I was like, maybe, maybe they'll call me back quicker, <laughs> you know? But um, you're right. If you, ask for that, if you ask for something that's too sensitive and you right. don't explain why you're doing it, then that's sketchy. And then you're probably getting people lying, which is exactly what I did on that form. Um, I think they were just trying to qualify people and that's fine, but probably not that question. And if you're not clear about it and now they have that in their database, right? That's weird right. data to have in there. Right. Oh, crazy. But now you have an individual rights request to be able to go and say, Hey, tell me what you have. They're in Canada. What can I do? Can I, can I send them a little uh, GDPR thing? And mm, No, not, they do have some options. Not it's quite. the wild North up there right now. They don't. Actually their email law is one of the strictest in the world, but castle, from an individual right, right castle. Yeah. Yep. That'll have so, to be a whole separate podcast. <laughs> I know. We'll have you back on here. We'll talk castle and email. Um, yeah, interesting. I, I wonder, though. They'll probably follow California pretty quickly because they're pretty- They're actually trying to follow GDPR. Are they? That makes yep. sense. A little more European. Yep. Not as messy as the Americans. <laughs> no. They follow- well, I don't they, know. Have, I like, they have stricter privacy now, and they're, I, they're looking to make it more in line yeah. with GDPR. 
that makes sense. Though I do like the, the US terms for things like a service provider, that makes sense. Um, a processor. Oh yes, you're a I processor, know. sir. Oh, okay. I try and use plain words, so yeah, I, uh, I make it English, the way we would ex think about it. That's why legal contracts really should be written. Is it more of that plain English legal so people can actually read them? Um, that is also another subject. Here's my next question for you. Who are you? How did you become the queen of privacy and the aficionado of compliance? Like, take us back. Little Jody days. Did you grow up, you know, thinking about these things or what was life like and where did you grow up and all that good stuff? So I, uh, I grew up in Connecticut, little tiny town in Connecticut. No and then high school, I made a big move to South Florida. So my parents and I moved from wow. Connecticut and moved all the way down there. And That's so, different, right? I mean, I'm New Hampshire. Totally so different. It's like, yeah. in like near May. Miami or what kind of South Florida? Palm Beach County. Wow. So just like an hour north of Miami. Sure. Um, so how I got to Atlanta is because now I was too chicken to kind of go all the way back up north. It was too cold yeah, and kind totally. of far. So I came to Emory in Atlanta and studied business here and started my career in accounting. Then I just stayed. So I worked at Deloitte and did well, hold on a second. Like, audit. What made you think that like accounting was it for? Well, it was a little bit of process elimination. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of just defaulted into business because I had sure. all the requirements and that seemed interesting. I really didn't know. And then in the business school, I, was, I, I didn't like finance. And sales seemed weird to major in <laughs> sales, or maybe it was management. I think it was management. Oh, it okay. seemed weird to major in sales management. Sales is still weird. They're a weird well, feature. I just don't understand how you major in management at 20 years old. So I didn't understand that. <laughs> and then my marketing teacher made me think that it was only advertising and I had to be creative. Uh, and while I'm creative, I'm not creative to come up with cool jingles and phrases. Right. And, and so, I didn't, so I thought that was marketing. Um, she actually was so bad. Our class review was so terrible. She never came back. Uh, and so then I crossed off marketing, which kind of less to counting. And I like puzzles. Like I like putting pieces together. And accounting is a puzzle. It has to balance at the end. It all has an even equation. Um, I'm an organized person, kind of type A. So it all has to balance. I'm a Libra. I like scales and balance. So accounting was sort of nice. this thing. And then people got jobs, not high paying jobs, but you got a job in accounting. So that seems like just a natural path. And so that's kind of how I got. Well, you said you didn't like finance. No, I don't like the whole stock market thing and the financial, like economic Oh, the financial. Finance. Oh, okay. The banking. Oh, okay. But you didn't I didn't want like banking. The, I didn't want investment banking. I didn't want options and puts and blah. I didn't like any of that. But, so, but just the straight numbers and, and. It's like a puzzle. So if you get $50 in and you only get 25 now, then the rest has to be 25. It has to balance. So it was kind of fun. So that's how I got into accounting. And so then I got to Deloitte and I found, you know, I didn't really like that so much. And I stayed for five years, which is actually a long time because yeah. I loved my clients. I, oh. I worked, um, I had a really wonderful ride at the firm. I, I was the lead at the biggest client in Atlanta, which is, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. It was a big media company, actually, it was Cox Enterprises. And that was a little bit of sort of an interesting connection. And I had actually always wanted to be in broadcast journalism. Mm -hmm. So this was sort of fun that I was working for a media company. I had a great team, a great gig. It was awesome. But I really didn't like accounting anymore. And it was honestly the whole Enron scandal mm. when derivatives came out and how to account for them. I was I'm just done. I don't really care how to account for derivatives anymore. So I got out and went to the Home Depot 
where I ended up doing also fallout of Enron were new financial control requirements to try and prevent that from yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. So I was responsible for doing, ironically, all the data mapping for financial controls at the Home Depot. Oh, cool. I've come full circle. It's really yeah, kind yeah, of interesting. Totally. So I did that for a while. And then while at Home Depot, I actually went back to Emory and got my executive MBA. Okay. And so I work full-time and school full-time, two full-time gigs at the same time. So you weren't busy at all. You were just kind no, of totally laying not around. Busy. No. And yeah. so while I did that, I also had two other jobs at the Home Depot. I went into strategy. Uh, well, actually, first I had a kind of like a CFO hat for a business unit oh, cool. in, in there. And then I went to strategy when I graduated with my MBA. Did that for a while. Like strategy, was ready to go somewhere else. So I came to Cox Enterprises as an employee. And I did strategy work from them. And then the second half of my career shifted into marketing and uh, privacy. So at autotrader.com, I created a targeted ad network. I stalked you for cars. You're welcome. That's cool. Before Facebook ads existed. Right. And it was all around collecting data and targeting people and everything along those lines. And there was no one focused on privacy. And it was kind of a newish thing coming out. Ironically, the ad industry got together to prevent government legislation. So it kind of worked for 10 years. <laughs> and I helped with that. And then I created a full-time role, created a privacy program at Cox Automotive, which is now the parent company to Auto Trader, Kelly Blue Book, Anaheim mm. Auto Auctions. It's a no kidding. 23 companies. They, they had all those. They have all of it. It's a wow. huge company. And so when I left, we were up to 23 brands. And, wow. and so over a three-year period, I built a privacy program to over all 23 brands. And what was really interesting is it was all around data. You know, all these companies had all different types of data and what we could do and what we couldn't do. How do we understand the customer? How do we connect, you know, me, a shopper with a dealer and the whole life cycle of, an autom of the automotive industry? Sure. And then the last corporate stop was at Bank of America. And I was their digital privacy expert. So think digital banking, your mobile app. And if anyone has Bank of America and you, you have Erica talk to you or you talk to Erica, that's the artificial intelligence engine for the mm. app. I was the first privacy expert on that. So I got to work on that big project plus a bunch of others. So it was a really interesting opportunity. And it was a couple years ago where I said, I'm ready for this entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. And so that's how I got to Red Clover Advisors. And the, uh, the ideas were helping companies on data privacy, data strategy, and, and bringing in the digital marketing expertise. That's awesome. I love that combination of marketing and privacy, the data strategy. That's really cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, we, in the privacy world, you find people who have sort of different s pieces of it. You have, yeah. you know, they love the security piece, or they love the vendor piece, or they, you know, I love, I love the marketing piece. It's, it's how I got here. I, I came from the business side. I understand what it is that a company is trying to accomplish. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I stalked you, right? I get it. Yeah. I understand. But at the same time, you have this balance of requirements and customers. And that's really where this whole idea of trust, because if I'm trying to, to get more customers, all the marketing is because I need more customers. I want more customers, more sales. Well, they also expect that we're going to do the right thing with their information. And when you violate that, it's going to be hard for me to earn my trust back. And it's not just a data breach as a big part and a significant piece and an increase during this time. There's actually going to see a huge increase in the number of data breaches come out of this COVID situation when we're recording this. Really? Yes. But at the same time, there's a big 
trust in terms of how I'm using that data and where is it going. And, and, and so I just love this piece to be able to help companies understand the compliance. It's a floor, it's a foundation, but the companies that are going to win and survive are going to be the ones that go above and beyond because we're really in a data centric era. So you have to start thinking about these things and the ethics starts to kind of creep in, right? We all have our yeah. smart devices and we're sharing information and, and where's the line? What's okay. What's not okay. Right. Where is that line? That's is the cool. I definitely, you're in the right place at the right time and you've got the background and it feels like you can speak geek. You can speak accounting and, and details, but you also get the goals of marketing and companies are trying to grow. They're trying to, engage and connect and so we don't want to hamper things but we, we want to be good right so we, it's at the scale we want to we want to balance out you know good marketing and sound marketing and protecting people and giving them some privacy and i think really we just got to you know treat the data the way we'd want ours treated you know like oh let me just exactly across the board would you want me to do that to your data go ahead give me your give me your social security number and i'll i'll yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had someone that I talked to and their view was, well, the social security number is available for sale. Okay. okay, that doesn't mean you should buy it and you should use it. Okay. <laughs> but you're right, it's totally available for sale. <laughs> it's like, and what? Like, <laughs> oh man, there's all different kinds of marketers out there, you know? There are, there are. So I'm, um, I'm on a mission to, to try and get us all, all meeting our goals while also creating trust with our customers. Because I believe in the long run that that will win. Yeah. And the more we do this now, the less crazy laws we have to do with later. <laughs> you know? That's true because there are going to be more laws coming. And if you create a strong foundation, then the, when the next one comes, it's not going to be that much harder. You've already done a huge amount of work. So at the same time, if you created an email list and you left it, you would need to go back and look at it again. It's not yeah. like you did it one time. I'm done. Right. The same is true for a privacy program. You create it and then you have to make sure it grows with the business and it's, it's up to date. Got it. That makes sense. Um, how hypothetical for you here. Um, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Nashua, New Hampshire. You can't use it now because COVID we're all staying in place and whatnot, but this breaks out, you know, it's all, all set. We can travel again, come visit, use my time machine. You go back in time to visit yourself at the beginning of your career, you just graduated school, you got the accounting thing going on, you're just, you're fresh into the world. Anything, what would you tell yourself? What kind of advice, anything you would say to yourself, knowing what you know and having been through all these different things? Yeah, I would say to be more confident and be willing to take more risks. I've always been a little bit more on the risk averse side. And as I've gotten older, I am, um, and the, you know, and you hear it all the time from people. They always say, take risks, fail. Well, then there's fail fast. And some people like that. Some people don't, but you always hear about, you got to take risks. Yeah. And I just always took really calculated risk. And I'm still not like, I, you're not going to see me skydiving. I'm not going to do that. No, but as, not no, go. no, my favorite drop zone's go. in Atlanta. Yeah. Nope. Still not going. Ah, um, okay. <laughs> but I love the idea of, you know, especially as an entrepreneur myself, I'm always taking, I took a risk on myself, right? I took a risk on myself and totally. it was the best risk that I've ever taken. And we're in a really interesting time right now, but the, the ability to have the confidence to be able to keep navigating. And if it doesn't work out that there's always another option, you can always find something. 
mm-hmm. I think is um, what I would have liked to have realized then. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great point. I'm writing this down, the idea of taking a risk on yourself, because I think you think about like the stock market right now, it's like taking a risk on stock. I don't know. Um, I do think it's funny that I think um, Tesla has been like, the stock that has punished the most people for trying to short it, for trying to bet against it. They've lost more money trying to bet against Tesla than anyone else. But um, the idea of it's like, it can be a crapshoot, but taking a risk on yourself, like you had said, like you're, you're it, like betting on yourself and uh, having a little confidence to do that, 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 and not just being calculated, sometimes just going for it because you, you know, it's you and it's kind of tied to your passions. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. And um, you had actually mentioned tied to my passion. So my passion is actually music. And well, the next kind of piece hold, that I hold love. Hold the front well, door. What? <laughs> but don't ask me about any bands. I can't do that. So I used to be a singer in high school. So kind okay. of your connection to what, you know, what was Jody? So it was music and singing. And um, I'm starting to realize how I can incorporate my passion into privacy and seeing a little bit more more of that come through. So how so? How how? Because so it's, it's still music after all these years. It is. It is. They still stuffed music after you in Deloitte, and you really just wanted to be singing in Nashville. Yeah, I do a live little people now in my life, so I yes. do a lot of singing of Frozen Two, and yes. um, I've introduced them to some Broadway musicals, so we get a little bit of some Broadway. But um, you know, the way I've I've realized I want to I I recently had heard about trying to connect your passion to what it is that you do all the time. Yeah. And, you know, to try and find a way, how can you bring them together? Yeah. So for me, I actually see a connection between privacy and like an orchestra. Mm. So you have the privacy officer. So for me, I might be a fractional privacy officer. I'm the conductor. Right. The lawmaker might've been like the, the composer. They wrote the law that we're supposed sure. to do. And you need all the different tools to make up my orchestra. Right. And it all's going to kind of, you need all of those different parts to make it work together. Right. So I think the other thing I would tell, you only asked me one, I'm giving you two. Oh, is, no, as many as you want. Yeah. Is, to, is to kind of connect and not lose yourself and find a way to bring it all together. And I really liked the idea that I had heard recently, which was what, is, what makes you you and mm. bring that out. Yeah, what makes you you? Should you be singing somewhere? Well, the singing rendition is, you know, a little bit later this evening. Nice, nice. After we work on uh, zebra animal research for our kindergartner and, yes. you know, all the other exciting things that we have going. <laughs> uh, did you, uh, there was a Disney sing-along a couple nights ago. I don't know if you caught that. I did not. We used to do a lot of singing when I could go in a car and we mm-hmm. would, you know, drive places. There was a lot of singing in my car. <laughs> and yeah, especially I, yeah. when the kids got out and I was still sing the yeah. same song you realize oh my gosh i'm still singing the kids songs <laughs> yeah right same thing with tv they're not even in the room and you're like why are we still watching this <laughs> change the channel yeah. I um know. yeah you know did, uh, the thing they had it was like all the different characters were in their homes and they oh, all neat. took turns singing different disney songs and they had the words down below so everyone could sing along oh i'll have to go dig that up i'm sure yeah. i can find it yeah dig it up it was pretty cool they had different people sing different things um I don't know about, um, there's a couple people where you're like, hmm, 
I don't know if I really wanted this on a Disney Disney show. But other than that, <laughs> parents watch it first okay. <laughs> for your kids. Very um, good. I think I had some mom say like, wow, I didn't want to turn my kid into a sex pot. She literally said that. It's like, thanks, Disney. So I was like, oh, I didn't think it was that bad. But um, I think it was Christina Aguilera had some rendition of like a Hercules uh, song. And she was doing the whole thing. And it was like, okay. All right. Then. But um, other than that, they had like um, – Olaf and everyone singing too so it was really cool do you, okay. do you uh how are you with like musical theater like plays musicals that kind of thing or is it oh I love musical theater yeah I don't Me go too. enough but I really favorite like it. favorite musical go oh I don't know um I mean at classic is probably Phantom of the Opera true I love the music of Les Mis yes um and right now kind of modern day my favorite is well then there's Wicked and then the other one is uh, Dear Evan Hansen. I'm really liking that one a lot. I haven't seen that one. So it has a very, it's a little bit of a somber and uplifting message all at the same time. But the music is absolutely unbelievable. Mm. And if you really listen to the message, so it has kind of a sad story, but it, it has an uplifting message and point Got to it. it. And so that is, it's incredibly done. And actually speaking of renditions right now, if you go to it online or even just Broadway, like the main Broadway channels, yeah. all the different artists are singing and performing in their homes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'd heard they were doing like and a virtual even fantasy. virtual one. So there's, there's virtual ones that yeah. are happening, and then the actual performers are doing it in their homes. Current ones, past ones, it's really fascinating. It'd be interesting to see the, the Phantom's home, right? You're like, wow, it's the basement under the, <laughs> under the theater. Like, you really do live here. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Um, I will check that out though. That sounds really cool. I, I'm with you. I, Phantom's a classic. I think my, my OG one is probably Les Mis just from, um, and I also like seeing it in London too. I had a chance thankfully to see some of those in London. I don't know what it is about it, but, um, that there and then Wicked too. Wicked is just amazing. amazing. I was so skeptical because what happens is you hear it in the car. Other people have seen it. They're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. You're like, I don't even understand this. Like, this is silly. Then you see it in the theater and you're just like, wow. That was yeah, it. it's amazing. Truly amazing. Truly. Um, well, this is awesome. Hey, where can people connect with you? They need a fractional privacy officer. They need your input. They need some help mapping. Where do they reach out? Absolutely. So a couple of different ways. So you can yeah. find me real simple, Jody, J-O-D-I at redcloveradvisors.com. Okay. I am super active on LinkedIn. So you come find me and connect with me. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn, both personal and the the company page is just Red Clover Advisors. Yeah. And then also, if you know, we talked a lot about individual rights. So I have kind of like a pocket guide that people might find is interesting. So if you go to redcloveradvisors.com okay. uh, slash, and we can put this in the show notes, I'm sure, right? Oh, we definitely will, but I'll go um, right now. Yeah. But kind of slash individual hyphen rights, hyphen pocket, hyphen guide. So it's basically resources, e-papers, and then you'll see individual rights pocket guide in there is sort of a condensed version of what it is that you need to be thinking about from an individual rights perspective for CCPA. Hell yeah. Is it, it's a landing page. Uh, it's a landing page. So, so if you, yeah, if you, it's a landing page. And, uh, and you don't want me to just steal your privacy policy. I need to make my own, right? I need you gotta to make your own. My own. <laughs> gotta make your own. Gotta make it. But here's one per company, right? Here's a landing page that is asking for a first name and email address. And yeah, 
we can kind of learn from how you're doing things too. That's great. Pocket guide. That's awesome. I always love to be able to, you know, point people at something after, you know, one of these conversations and have something tangible people can look at. So that's perfect. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much for being on here. This has been fun. I've enjoyed it. It was super fun. I'm really glad that we connected. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for those of you listening, if you've learned something, and I know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes over here from the back, (laughs) um, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to four people. Be a thought leader to like 90 people. Put it on your Twitter, put it on your LinkedIn, whatever. Just get this information out. People need to meet Jody. They need to get some insight. Check out your own privacy policy. If you don't have one, this is your wake-up call. You're welcome. I'm going to go look at mine. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Awesome time. I learned so much. Thank you again, Jody. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All righty, guys. Hey, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.